stories of ambition, drive, success, and the personalities behind them. I'm Whitney Coonan. And I'm Macy McLean. And you're listening to Power in Heels. Money makes the world go round, but yet it is such a hard topic to grasp and fully understand. I know, I completely agree. Like, we're out of school, we're just, you know, graduating, we're entering the workforce for the first time, but now I have all the student loan debt and I'm getting these paychecks, but people are telling me to save money and make a budget, but what exactly is a budget? How do I make one? And then other people are telling me, oh, you got to save for retirement. How do I do that? I don't know how to invest. What the hell is a TFSA? It's all just so confusing. (laughs) If you are just as confused as we are, then you are in luck because today we are joined by the founder of In Her Wallet, Sophia, to talk to us all about money. Well, I just want to start off and say thank you so much for joining us. We are really excited to have you and really excited to hear all of the expertise that you have to share because you are so knowledgeable and I'm just really excited to dig in. But before we, you know, get into (laughs) get into the money talk, I do want to start off with your story. So if someone asked you to tell your story, uh, where would you start and why? Macy Whitney, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be on as well. Thanks for inviting me Um, about my story. So I originally moved to Canada when I was 17 years old. It's going to be actually 10 years this year. And I moved to get my bachelor's degree from the University of British Columbia, where I studied economics and commerce. I moved on my own without really knowing anyone. So I think that's really what contributed to me becoming independent early on, especially independent in managing my personal finances. While being at UBC, I had to join a lot of different clubs and organizations because I didn't really have a lot of friends. So that was my way of meeting people. And one of the clubs I joined was a national investment banking case competition and conference. It's an organization that's a global club. It was organized actually by someone from the Sauter School of Business. At that time, they would only hire students from the business school. And I was in the Faculty of Arts because I was studying economics. So I had to snuck my way in and pretend <laughs> I was a Sauter School of Business student. Uh, but they eventually hired me. I became a director of conference for them. I stayed with them for three years. It brought a lot of wonderful opportunities into my life, including connecting with a lot of investors investment banking professionals and learning that investment banking wasn't actually my cup of tea. A career (laughs) in investment banking was like, oh, you made it. You definitely need to follow that. You know, that was the ultimate goal. But I was I was smart enough at that point to talk to people and find out that that wasn't what I wanted to do. That's how I learned about wealth management. And prior to my graduation, I received an offer from Canaccord Genuity. They are one of the most established and leading independent investment management companies here in Canada. I worked there for close to three years, got my license as an investment representative in Canada, and had a pleasure of working with a lot of wealthy individuals and families in helping them understand what their financial situation is, helping them manage their money, and also grow it over time. I had that inner battle inside of myself because I grew up in a family of business owners. So I always knew I wanted to follow the business route as well, but I didn't want to just slap my name onto something. I wanted to solve a problem a lot of people have, have a company that's mission driven. So when I was working with wealth management, I started noticing that the industry still presumes men to be their target customers and they tailor mainly to people who already have money. I would 
have a lot of women in my, in my network reach out to me and ask, you know, how can I start investing? How can I pay off my credit card faster? What is the stock market? And so on. And really, that's how the idea for In Her Wallet was born. We are on a mission to help women take control of their finances for good and build the lives that they deserve. This year, we'll be launching our private membership platform that will be an e-learning universe with a community aspect to it. So we'll have events and masterclasses and a lot of wonderful stuff. Basically, it's a it's a place for women like you, Macy and Whitney and myself, who really need to take a full grasp of their financial situation and understand how can they make things work so one day they reach financial stability and do not have to worry about how to retire and you know how to make ends meet. And while I'm building the, the membership itself, last year, September, I launched a podcast, has the same name in her wallet. Actually, thanks to the girls, they helped me a lot in, in figuring out the first steps that I was taking. But we wrapped up season one in December of last year and season two is actually launching in March. Exciting. That's awesome. And, you know, Whitney and I have listened to a couple of your episodes when you first launched and we are super enthralled and and love it and think it's honestly just such a great concept in general. I think money can be a very daunting topic to cover, but you're able to kind of help us break it down, which is always a plus. (laughs) Yes. A lot of people think that in order to be good with money, you need to have technical skills or be good at calculating, be good at numbers, be good at creating spreadsheets and so on. I just wish more people knew that doing well with your personal finances has a little to do with your formal measures of intelligence and how well you did in math at school or in university and a lot more to do with how you behave day in and day out and being good with money is a matter of self-consciousness and education, I think. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's such a great concept and, and, and you execute it so well. Listening to it, it, it kind of, it breaks it down in a way that's that's easy to understand, but also feels approachable. So anybody who's listening right now, um, once you finish this podcast episode, please go and check out Inner Wallet as well, because it is such, such a great resource. Um, but anyway, I, don't, I, I do want to ask you some questions about money if you're down for it. <laughs> Yes, always. So we, Macy and I are kind of at that age where we're out of the house now. We're kind of, you know, just finishing up university. So we're really starting to think about our own money. And it's quite daunting, I've come to realize, <laughs> because suddenly you've, you've graduated and you might have some student loans to pay off. You're getting that first job. So you're getting those first paychecks that are hopefully going to be consistent. Um, but you have to decide how to manage that. And it can be quite scary to do. If you look back at, you know, when you were our age as well, and I mean, you're still very close to our age, you're very young. So, but what do you wish that young people knew about money um, that they often don't? I wish more people knew that doing good with money is just a matter of your day in and day out habits. But looking back at when I was graduating university, so I was living here on my own in Canada when I moved um, until my sister joined me and parents would send me every month like a monthly allowance, $500. That's all I had and I had to budget that out. I really early on learned that if I want to get my manicure every month, I will have to cut back on on other things. And if Mm -hmm. that's what I value, I need to make a place for it in my budget. 
I didn't have a credit card until I started working full time just because I wasn't really, I was foreign to the concept of credit cards, not something I was used to. No one was here to teach me that. So I only had my, my allowance and that served me really well because I never relied on any extension of an income I might have had, which I find that a lot of people these days, that's how they slowly but surely they get into debt. What I wish I personally did more is paid myself first. It's one of the single best principles of money, of personal finance. When you're just starting to earn and your salary might be very little, make sure that before you go and you spend your money to things, eventually making profits for other companies, you pay yourself, even if it's $10, even if it's $50, because that can really go a long way. That's a great point. And I want to talk a little bit about making budgets, because everybody always says, you know, make sure you have a great budget. Like, (laughs) but what, what does that mean? How do you actually lay out a budget? What should be included? What should not? So if we look at budgets, the reason why we want to create them is we want to have something that will help us stay on track with our expenses and our income. The financial roadmap that you can create for yourself right now is first to leave below your means to make sure that your expenses do not exceed your income, which is what budget can help you do, is that you pay off your high interest debt if you have any, and that you start setting money aside for an emergency fund. In general, there are two different types of budgets look back budgets and look forward budgets. A lot of people, when they hear the word budget in general, they just, I feel like they want to leave the room. They want to like cover their ears because a lot of people find budgets ineffective. They, and even if someone creates a budget, very often they're not sticking to it. So look back budgets are that type of budget actually that I do not recommend. What look back budgets are is they uh, make you look at your expenses for the past month or for the past year, as much as a year, and average out expenses in different categories that you have and take these averages and plan out your spending for the future according to these averages. There are three main reasons why this is not good. First of all, that doesn't really account for price changes, something we've experienced a lot in the past year. Second, obviously, it, it talks about averages, but more often than not, we have irregular spending, right? What if it's June, you've been invited to a few weddings, you need to buy dresses, gifts, Obviously, you're not going to fit into that budget anymore. So more often than not, it won't be a zero balance on that budget. And last but not least, it also doesn't account for income. So if you lost income or if you took a pay cut and you continue spending according to the averages you have from the past using your credit card, let's say, very quickly you'll arrive at the point where you are putting yourself in debt. So a healthier and more sustainable way to look at budgets is to create a look forward budget. And in this type of budget, you also examine your past expenses. However, that's only the first step. The second step is to anticipate what expenses are about to come your way and then allocate your resources to meet those needs. And a budget as such is more realistic because unlike look back budget that is done once a year this one should actually be done at least once a month for the months ahead yeah and also that way you give yourself an opportunity to get feedback on your money how you're doing with that 
and so on. We're actually planning to launch a series of workshops at Her Wallet that help women create look forward budgets. So for anyone interested, they can look into that and reach out to us. Stick around. Next up on Power and Heels. The rate on your credit card is close to 19.22%. You will rarely get returns like that when you invest. So it takes away more from you than what you would be able to earn as a result of investments. The 50-30-20 budget uh, rule is basically a rule that divides your after-tax income into three categories. For those who don't know, 54 needs, 34 wants, and 24 savings, with needs being everything that covers your basic life, basically anything that you will not be able to survive or live without, such as paying your rent, buying food. We do not include restaurants in there. It's your food at home, for example. Very basic things, your medical bill, your phone bill, 30% for wants, and then 20% to savings. And that's very important. Uh, What we mean by savings is either that money goes to paying off your debt or student loans, if you have any, saving for an emergency or allocating that to investments, if you've already covered everything that I just mentioned. Is that still applicable to this day, especially with inflation? And as Whitney and I can very much relate, uh, rent prices, especially living here in Toronto, it's just, it doesn't seem like the 50, 30, 20 rule could work. Yes. And you girls are in Toronto, I'm in Vancouver, yeah. so we all are living in very expensive yeah. cities. Okay. <laughs> You are right, very difficult and unrealistic to follow this guideline. But again, it's just the guideline. In 2019, when I graduated from UBC, my first full-time job paid me $40,000 annual salary. And that was about $2,500 per month. So if you take 50% of that, that's $1,250. In Vancouver, you cannot find a place to rent for that money. (laughs) I had to bump up my basic needs allowance to 75% instead of 50% in order to be able to cover medical insurance and other things I had in that category. And I allocated 15% to wants. So I took a cut to my eating out and stuff and and 10% to savings. And I'm very happy that that's the route I followed because that was really important. And that's what eventually helped me leave corporate world and start my own project. But yes, you're right with inflation and sky high rent and living in an expensive city like Toronto and Vancouver, it definitely is very difficult to be following strictly 50, 30, 20 budget rule. You can take it as a guideline and customize it to yourself. Um, You don't necessarily have to follow what I just said. Talking about that 20% that's supposed to go towards saving and or investing, if, if someone's coming out of school and, you know, they have some student loans that they have to pay off, but they also want to start saving slash investing it because, you know, we're already thinking ahead going, oh, my gosh, like one day I'm going to have to try to afford a house or something, right? Or I have to buy my, yeah. you know, my car. There's these expenses that we're starting to think about um, saving towards. But there might not always be room in the budget to do both save and pay off some of that. What do you think is more important at that age? to work hard on paying off those loans as fast as possible or to try saving a little bit first? 
in my opinion, and especially with the inflation that we are at right now, your single most important goal in your financial roadmap should be to be able to pay off any high interest debt you have on your hand. That includes credit cards. A lot of people think that, you know, credit cards are not included. The rate on your debt that you accumulate on your credit card is close to 19, 22% for, for a lot of people. You will rarely get returns like that when you invest. So that money that you have borrowed and you're paying interest on, it takes away more from you than what you would be able to earn as a result of investments. So yes, I do think that you should prioritize paying off debt and um, any student loans you might have second step is creating an emergency fund okay at least if you are paying off student loans and you are able to have at least a thousand dollars in an emergency fund that's also a great idea if you're able to save that because if an emergency god forbid happens we know those bills are very high you do not want to be putting additional debt onto your credit card because you're working hard to pay that off. And then and only then can you think about starting to invest. I really want to talk about credit cards. I feel like that has been a thing that we've been talking about throughout this interview and I just want to dive into it. Um, And I think it's, you know, credit cards, but then also just building credit. Can we kind of just break that out a bit and make it easier to understand? Yes, of course. I want to give you a heads up that my view on credit cards is probably not very traditional or and not what you girls are used to to hearing having grown up in Canada. Basically, in my country, we do not have a credit score system. So when I originally moved to Canada, I never understood why am I required to have a credit card and borrow money from the bank if I have my own. People would then explain to me that you need to have that in order to have a good credit score that will then have an impact on big life milestones such as buying a home, buying a car, renting an apartment. But I have a credit card. I am very diligent in paying it off on time. When you're not able to make on-time payments in full, I basically think that banks invented the so-called credit card system to evaluate customers. But in order to get a good score, you need to start borrowing money from the bank. The tricky part, though, is that bank is a business. It's a business for them. It's a system they created in their own interest to make profit and to pay these profits to their shareholders. However, we live in a world where It's not taught to us in school how to play this game and how to use credit cards the right way. And obviously, we're not taught that in school. Banks don't teach us that because it's not in their interest. And their interest is to earn money on you and become rich. So do you see what I mean? That's kind of where am I? I don't have affection with credit cards. Um, So my advice to anyone who is just starting to earn money or has some form of inheritance or savings, do not rush with credit cards until you learn how to play that game and how to be smart with it. Credit cards will not cover your emergencies. So before you start building a credit score, ensure that you have an emergency fund and your income is greater than your monthly expenses. And if you follow these two rules and stick by them, you will not only have building a credit score that's good and that's going to help you down the road, but you'll also learn the basics of how to be good with your personal finances. And you will not be using credit card as an extension of your income. That's how a lot of people look at it these days. There are three main factors that affect 
the credit score. It's your ability to make payments on time. It's the amount of debt you carry on your credit statement. Usually it's advised that you use not more than 30% of your credit card limit. Not a lot of people know that. I will, I'll be honest, when I first got my credit card, I didn't know that either. I thought if I just paid off in full, I didn't realize that because I was using more than 30% of my allowance, the bank actually looks at it as if, you know, I'm dependent on the credit card and I cannot live without it, which to them, that also has an impact on your score. So it would make it decline. And the third uh, factor that affects the credit score is the length of time you've had the account open for. Here in Canada and in the US, you can open your credit card before you're even allowed to legally drink. So the length of time does matter. But if you're not using it in the right way, and if you're starting to carry a lot of debt, that obviously is is very bad. And it can put you in, in a very bad position where you become enslaved to the bank with their interest. So yes, length of time is important. But playing by the rules and, and being smart at it is, is more important than that. That's some great advice. And then, you know, it's a scary topic to talk about debt all this time, but I feel like it is an important one because a lot of people get into debt while they're quite young. But nowadays I'm seeing all these things, you know, everywhere where it's like, oh, you can buy this couch and you can you can literally finance your couch. You can pay it off in <laughs> installments or even now, like when I'm shopping online for clothes, I see, oh, pay only this much every month with this app. I'm like, what? So are people really financing things like couches and clothing? And is this something we should be doing or not? And why am I seeing so much of this now? In general, I think debt is the single largest problem of our society today. And the reason for that is because we live in a culture of envy and comparison and status. Today, the status-driven consumption is the driving force of our economy. And when I worked in, in Canaccord Genuity, I obviously was working closely with a lot of wealthy people. The one thing that was common amongst all of them is that none of them valued materialistic things. For them, financial stability was the main goal. And I think a lot of these people understand that if you try to run after the latest I don't know, trend, you're doomed to fail because there'll always be another kind of heel to climb, right? So how much debt is reasonable and how much is too much? In my personal opinion, any debt that harms your future financial stability is unreasonable. And when you purchase something with your credit card without having confidence that it's something you can pay off in full right away, you're digging yourself a hole of having monthly expenses overweight your income. And now talking about financing plans, honestly, what a brilliant scam mechanism invented (laughs) by for-profit companies of today's consumerism culture that we all love to participate in. Um, basically, it's just a way to create more profit for companies that that want to, to use us to move basically our money into their pockets. These financial plans are not created to help you get by, to help you, you know, okay, I'll get this couch today, but I'll pay it off later in order for you to be able to afford it. No, it's created to create profits for themselves. And that's really, I think, all we need to know about financing plans. So 
no to financing plans, in my personal opinion. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, my grandparents always had the saying, and I, it probably isn't just them, but they always used to say, don't buy something unless you can buy it twice in cash. <laughs> so yes. I feel like you, you think that still rings true? Yes. Oh, 100%. 100%. Hey, it's Macy. And Whitney. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Power and Heels. Make sure to join the conversation and never miss a new episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. I'm almost done university and, you know, starting to look for a job and, and a career that I'm going to have for many years. And Whitney is obviously now has graduated and is in the workplace. And I think something that both of us have heard or even just are always thinking about in the back of our minds is retirement. Is it too early to start it once you get your first job? Um, after school. I totally feel you. And that was how I felt as well when I just got out of university. What you need to understand and the, is the reason why you hear about saving for retirement is because first of all, if you start early, you have to set aside smaller amounts of money. Plus, second is that you give your money more time to grow. They will each year generate gains and then those gains can generate their own gains basically that's the the biggest concept in investing right compounding so you give your money that way if you start right now more time to grow however that doesn't mean that you need to drop everything right now forget about your student loans forget about creating an emergency fund and go save for for retirement you're in your mid-20s retirement is I don't know, 40, 35 years away from you. Yes, do not forget about it completely. There will be a time when you'll be in a better position to start saving for it. And once you get to a point where you look at your monthly income and you say, okay, I, I make $3,000 a month. My expenses are $2,800. I have extra $200. Then if you already have an emergency fund, you can start to save, then you can start investing for retirement and setting that money aside. So that's kind of how I do it. And I think it's the best way. That makes sense. And um, talking about, you know, saving for retirement, I feel like the, the old way was to just, you know, you, you save money every month. And then by the time you retire, it's enough to retire on. But I don't know. It, it, does, it doesn't seem like that's enough these days anymore. But investing, like we've, we've already touched on it before, it's such a scary big word. <laughs> so yeah. um, where, where, where do you sit on that? What, you know, what's for you a good way to start when, when you're young and, and you're just thinking about investing? Mm -hmm. So I want to address what you first said, the fact that, you know, is it enough to be saving your paycheck? I want to say that these days, the cost of living is so high, a lot of people do not have extra income to set aside. So if you are in a place to do that, you are already ahead of the curve. So when it comes to investing, if you are in a place where you do not have any high interest debt anymore, you have an emergency fund, then this is the time to start thinking about investing. And you're right, stock market and the any term associated with investing is overwhelming. There is no doubt. What's good to remember is that we all started somewhere and at some point, even the greatest investors like Warren Buffett started somewhere. If until now you were only setting money aside under your pillow or into a savings account, chances are it wasn't growing a lot. Unfortunately, you cannot do this for too long and you cannot do this with large sums of money because eventually 
the inflation will erode that money and you will lose purchasing power. I'm sure that a lot of listeners have heard of that. And that's really when, when investing comes into play. Investing gives your money an opportunity to grow and to earn interest over time. The key to remember here is that relatively small annual gains that you earn in the stock market just by investing in a total stock market index fund. You do not have to reinvent a bicycle. You can just do that. Um, If you do that, those relatively small gains that you receive on an annual basis, they will add up and they will then lead to very big amounts of money. You've probably also seen on Instagram, you know, if you invest $500, Every month, you'll eventually become a millionaire. Yes, this is true, again, because of the compounding that we talked about before. One thing to remember, though, and you mentioned correctly, investing is risky, and that's what scares a lot of people off. But if you're trying to achieve high returns by investing in just something, you know, that promises you the moon, that probably has a lot of risk in it. And that's not the strategy I would recommend. Uh, If your goal is simple, to help your money avoid inflation erosion and earn a little bit more than that, then you have less risk to worry about. And then you're probably set. You do need to be prepared that sometimes your balance will be lower or will be higher. But that's just the nature of it. If you look back 20, 30, 40 years in how the stock market has performed, there are dips. Overall, it's heading up, and that's just something that helps me stay calm when the market is down. So if someone did get to the point where they were like, you know what, I I do, do want to start investing my money, but they're just not sure where to start because just throwing money into the stock market one I don't even know how 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 I begin to do that and two that just seems really scary because I don't know anything about the stock market. What's a really good place to start when it comes to just investing your money in a simple way? So let's say you have $500 that you are ready to invest. My first suggestion to you would be to open a TFSA account, whether uh, with your bank or with a platform of your choice, such as Wealthsimple. Basically, tax-free savings account allows you to invest money within that account into the stock market. You can't just invest in the TFSA and think that put money in TFSA and think it's invested. No, it's, it's like a wallet. You just put money in it. But any capital gains, any growth that your money experiences, you do not have to pay tax on that. And then within that account to buy certain stocks or index funds or mutual funds. When you're just starting out and you want to be hands off and you want just money to sit in there and work for you, just do that. Doing that consistently and setting up contributions to your TFSA on a monthly basis and automatic purchase of this fund is also a great strategy. The important thing to remember is that you cannot invest unlimited amount of money into a tax-free savings account. If you go into CRA and log in, it will actually tell you what your TFSA limit is. I believe it's about 6,500 
every year starting when you turn 18 years old. So anyone who is 18 years old or older right now, you can open a TFSA account. That money accumulates. So if you haven't been investing in a TFSA since 18, that money has accumulated. It might be somewhere around 25,000 for you right now. So you can invest up to 25,000 right now, plus the room that's allowed to you for this year. And if you see that you have still extra amount of money that you want to invest, open a registered retirement savings plan. A registered retirement savings plan is a similar idea, but it's investing your pre-tax money. So you actually, that money gets taken away out of your salary before you pay tax on it. So it actually also allows you to pay less tax on your income, which is a great tax saving strategy. The thing with RSP, it's not easy to take money out of it. So it's probably locked in there until you retire. So for someone as young as all of three of us, I would say TFSA is your first priority and then RSP. Well, I know we've learned a ton about money and I'd love to just keep talking about it all day, but (laughs) the interview is nearing its end. I'd love to give this time to you to give us any last words of advice or wisdom. The time is yours. I think that when you show up for yourself financially and you take extra steps to learn something about personal finance, you exceed what's financially possible for you in the future. I always say that phrase on the podcast and I stand by it every single day. You should not be scared of money. As I mentioned, you do not need to be good at math. If you failed math once in a lifetime, I've done it, but I do well with investing with personal finance. I I know that it's the matter of just having good habits in place. I want to recommend a book called The Psychology of Money. It's by Morgan Housel. I love that book. I recommend that book. I obviously recommend everyone to check out our podcast and sign up for our membership platform. Um, for every woman, I think it's what money can do for you is the freedom of choice. It's the freedom of being able to choose which employer you want to work for. It's the freedom of being able to choose how long can your vacation be, where you can go, what kind of gifts you can give to your family, what kind of furniture you can buy for your home. Money can do all of these things for you. And it's totally within your control to guide your money towards doing these things for you as long as you manage them in the right way, which is not hard. It just takes time to educate yourself and stick to good practices. So for anyone who wants to learn more about managing money, feel free to reach out. I absolutely love helping people. I really appreciate you girls having me on. Thank you. Thank you so much. So (laughs) much for joining us. It was really great to chat with you and, and really great to hear all this advice. Thank you so much. This Power and Heals episode is intended to provide listeners with information about personal finance and investing. Power and Heals recommends that you consult a professional financial advisor before making any personal investing or finance decisions.